Welcome to the latest edition of the Meltzer Five Star Project, an ongoing series within the Let Me Tell You Something podcast, where myself, Lorcan Mullen, and your other Let Me Tell You Something co-host, Simon Cross, discuss a match that Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer has rated five stars or higher. For this one, we've got a couple of recent five-star attainers in singles matches for the first time for both of them, in matches overall for one of them the first time. And it was... The talk of the wrestling Twitter when it happened. Simon, what match are we discussing today? Uh, We are discussing the title match at AEW Winter is Coming between the challenger, Brian Danielson, and the champion, Hangman Adam Page. Usually when it comes to AEW stuff, I'm not really bothered with being spoiled about things. I don't really have the time nor the effort to put three hours worth of wrestling television... Into your schedule. ...onto my weekly schedule now and i don't know that i ever will be willing to do that anymore it's just the way i'm built these days i have other priorities in life but with this one i did make sure to work from home on the thursday because i didn't want to be spoiled and i wanted to watch it fresh the way that it went was something that i suspected would happen when it started the event i thought now i'm more likely that it will do what it does than it than an outright result and very soon into the wrestling i could tell they were going long yeah and so on my first viewing i must admit i wasn't the biggest fan of the match and i thought that a lot of people got caught up in the hyperbole of it being as long as it was it was a well wrestled match but it had some i had some problems with it the first time upon rewatch it it improved upon a rewatch for me yeah. And as to whether that means I'll be giving it five stars or not, we'll hold that off until later on in the discussion. What about you, Simon? What was your viewing experience of this the first time? Did you expect stuff? And upon doing a rewatch today, has your opinion shifted in either direction on the quality ometer? I work from home full time at present. Uh, that's not likely to change considering uh, circumstances beyond the realm of the squared circle. So I had this match on whilst working the first time round, so I didn't sit down like at the end of the day to watch it. I had it on whilst doing other things. I didn't twig quite as early, therefore, about how long the match was going until about part way through when I'm like, okay, they're going to do the old territory style kind of thing with this uh, with this match. Because I, I feel that's the template they've taken with the way this, this match was wrestled, doing like a Broadway. So the second time to take notes for this, I actually sat down and watched it with no distractions. And I noticed a little bit like more of like the little things, particularly Brian Danielson does, to sort of get the match to an hour. I, and I have a new appreciation for that on second viewing, like being able to pick up the details. Obviously, when you watch something for the second time, you've got the luxury of... You know, your eyes will look for things they didn't see the first time round. I, I, I think they very much t- took a look at, like, the old uh, Ric Flair as NWA champion kind of vibe 
and use that sort of template for this. I don't know how you feel about that, but it felt very 80s, like 70s, 80s territory to me. I think it felt very Brian Danielson's Ring of Honor World title run for me. Okay. Because Danielson has a lot more experience in going long. He did at least five matches I can think of in Ring of Honor where he went 60 minutes or more than that. He had a two out of three falls match with Austin Aries that went 80-something minutes, I believe. And apparently at the start of the match, the intention was for it to go two hours 50. Good Lord. That, like the first two falls would be 60-minute time limits and the final fall would finish at the 50-minute mark. And that along the way, during the first fall, Brian made a call to say, no, we, we can't do that. But let's go long, but let's not go that long. Yeah. And so they end up having about an 88-minute match. That sounds very much like something that um, wrestlers look at and go, yeah, that's cool. And then like about 30 minutes in, it's like, oh, God, please let this end somehow. Then he had several 60-minute matches as Ring of Honor champion. He had a 60-minute time limit draw with Samoa Joe. He went 60 minutes and two out of three falls on consecutive nights with Nigel McGuinness and Colt Banner. And I'm sure he went to another 60 minutes with someone somewhere down the line. And he's had long matches as well. He had a 50-something minute match with Roderick Strong as well. In comparison to that, I believe that someone said online that the longest singles match that Hangman Page had ever had up to this point had gone 26 minutes. Yeah. I don't know if that was the Kenny Omega match at full gear. Might have been. That, I... I know that it went under 30 minutes because Hangman Page made a point of... Uh, reminding Brian Danielson of that when they yeah. had their first standoff in the ring. So he hasn't gone beyond the 30 minutes, is my point. And I think he holds his end up well, but I do think one of the criticisms that have gone so far is that Hangman still doesn't look at the the status of these top guys and the notion that this was a carry job by Brian Danielson. I don't think it was a carry job, but I think it was a match where Brian Danielson led the way. Yeah. In many ways, it's like the old school tradition of wrestling where the heel dictates the pace of the action, calls the match, and is the more experienced one in the ring. Now, oftentimes the champion can supersede it and say, we're going to do it my way because I'm the champ. I remember... Bret Hart pulled that out on Ric Flair when they were doing rematches for the title around the house shows. Mm. He said, I'm champion, so we're going to go my way with this. I'm going to call it how this match is going to go. Yeah. But Hangman clearly deferred to Brian Danielson. It was Hangman working within Brian Danielson's structuring of the match mm. and dictating of the pace of the match. But I do think watching it the second time, I did appreciate what Danielson was doing throughout it all to make things work logically and the thought processes and the way that the match evolves at repeated spots, I really appreciated more on the second viewing. Yeah. I mean, we are kind of being analytical and sometimes I worry that that puts us up our own asses, And especially when we're telling these other people what they did or didn't do wrong. <laughs> but I think if anyone wouldn't mind being analysed and critiqued in, in this way, it would be Danielson, because I think Danielson approaches these matches in the same way. Yeah. Because the key points of the story throughout it all were that it was Brian Danielson going in overconfident, thinking little of Hangman Page, believing that this is almost going to be a walk in the park. for it's, it's a formality that he will win the championship. He's got a smile on his face from the start. And Hangman Page 
having his frustrations with Danielson. Danielson got in his head over the previous weeks with his treatment of the Dark Order, his dismissiveness of Hangman Page, and not taking his call to fight him whenever that he's picking and choosing his battles. Yeah. But both of them experienced something in this match. Danielson experienced the strength and the wherewithal and the power and the abilities of Hangman Page. And Hangman Page also swam into the deep waters of a long match. And the perils of being the champion, where every challenger, it's their most important match that they're building up to. Whereas for a champion, you've got to match someone at their best at all times. Yeah. Obviously, there's been criticisms that his first title defense is a 60-minute draw. And I can understand where they're coming from with that. Because I always thought it was a bit of a problem for Diesel with his first big defense of the world title after he won it was to go up against Bret Hart and they didn't book him to go over Bret Hart they booked it as a schmoz by the end of it and it was a double disqualification yeah so they were never willing to say Diesel is definitely above Bret Hart now and they never did and then when they had their rematch of the Survivor Series Bret Hart went over I think with them like wanting to um, keep Brian Danielson incredibly strong they sort of wrote themselves into a corner with this match where it was either going to be one and done but clearly they didn't want to do that so if you want to keep the belt on hangman how do you do it where you don't diminish brian danielson you don't have his first loss be like a cheap loss or uh something like that against the babyface champion because that sort of like doesn't really gel well i wonder if because as we're saying the perception of hangman page maybe that he isn't yet on the level of an omega a Brian Danielson, he's not an elite worker. He's not an A plus worker. He's not someone that can get a five star match out of other people. The people get five star matches out of him. For what little that means, I'm not saying that's actually an important thing in the eye of other people, but it's just the sake of this debate, this this critique, this form of wrestling discussion. But what this maybe does with them going the sixty minutes and keeping up with Brian Danielson is a sign that he can work that match. If you do it with enough people, eventually you're clearly a special. I guess the question is, can Hangman Page have a match in a year's time against an MJF, against a mm. Darby Allen, against a Sammy Guevara? God, if, if Darby Allen did an hour, what would be left of him? The way he bumps Jesus. Well, he'd have to change it. He'd have to change it up, just as Hangman Adam Page had to change it up yeah. in this match by spacing his moves out, by doing new moves that came as a surprise to people, especially towards the end straights. Yeah. And also just timing and keeping the gaps between moves and keeping interest enough mm. that they were engaged, even if you're taking the same moves and sort of spacing it out a bit, which is always the case with 60-minute matches. It's like when we watched the first Ric Flair-Barry Windham match and the second Ric Flair-Barry Windham match in the five-star thing, and there was like a, one was 20 minutes shorter than the other one. Yeah. It was essentially the earlier match, but in a, a faster pace. The, the same level of moves almost were nearly being done, but just at a quicker clip. Yeah. What you obviously say about like Hangman in terms of like in-ring, I, I, I think sort of mirrors in how Hangman, the character, is presented at the minute, because he's the fourth AEW world champion. And if you look at all of his pre- predecessors... They've held like big belts in other promotions, be it New Japan, be it WWE. Uh, so, well, obviously, mul- some of them multiple times. Whereas Hangman is, this is his first big title. So, it, as a character, like just because he had the assurance and the confidence to overcome Kenny Omega and win the belt, like you say, once you become champion, you've got to then 
kick up a gear. You've got to grow in confidence again. And I think this match is a good indicator of like showing that, like, oh, we've still got part of the Hangman growth journey to go. Well, I think it was significant that towards the end of the match, there wasn't dueling chants of let's go dragon, let's go hangman or anything like that. Yeah. It was cowboy shit. The crowd was almost all entirely rooting for hangman Adam Page to win. So they weren't applauding the match. They were cheering on hangman Page towards the end. Which wasn't the case at the start. I mean, like Taz points out, it was like kind of 60-40. That's a little bit of hyperbole, but there were uh, dragon chants. And also then he... Flunked his maths straight <laughs> <after that. laughs> uh, An Excalibur. Oh, bless him. They tried the whole rotating commentator thing. I'm glad they bin that off for this match and didn't like, have sort of a floater. I'm glad they've just like plugged Taz, Taz in to cover for JR. And the fact that Taz and Excalibur have that chemistry off of Dark, I think really helped this match as well. Because they, they can play off of each other really well. I think it's the best combination they could have had for this match, in all honesty that Excalibur was able to do the play-by-play. And there were very few of Excalibur's problems, re- repetitions of certain moves and, and what have you. And there was good analysis coming from... Taz would be an analyzer of the moves themselves, and mm-hmm. Tony would be commenting on the progression of the match, really. Yeah. But he would also clearly have certain notes that it was his job to elaborate, such as when Danielson's leg gets hurt... Tony Schiavone brings up the previous week's match with John Silver, where at one point John Silver took out his knee. Yeah. And it's obvious they had that written down, no to say this, point this out at this point, and it came so perfectly and organically, and it gave that idea of there being strategy and long-term effects and giving you reason to, oh, I should watch earlier matches because something might happen yeah. in, in a setup to this match that will then get a payoff in this match. Well, they alluded to that at the start when they played the clip of Brian going through all the Dark Order members. It was him holding Colt Cabana's teeth. It was him choking out Evil Uno. Whereas when it got to John Silver, it was very much a uh, initial picture was John Silver wrenching on the knee bar. Mm. Then John Silver eventually falling to the gotch pile driver. They made it very clear with the silver match, it it wasn't all one-way traffic and a body part was targeted. One of the things that has bothered me with AEW matches that have gone long in this so far... I've mentioned it in the previous five star we did for Omega Danielson. And in that, I also referenced the blood and guts match. Yeah. Is that when they go to commercial break, it's clear that they inform the wrestlers in the ring that they have Mm. and they'll slow it down. And sometimes that impedes the natural flow of a match and you're taken outside of it. Yeah. There's one break where they kind of got away with it. And there were others where it bothered me a bit more. There was one in particular, and that is when Brian Danielson's hurt the shoulder of Hangman Page. He's rammed him into the posts, Mm. and he's on the outside, and he starts bleeding. And they go straight to a break, or they might have gone on to a break just before that you saw Hangman was bleeding. And pretty much the entirety of those two minutes is Hangman Page being looked at by the medics, but just being offered a bottle of water. Yeah. Not much being done to the cut, and Brian Danielson playing about with the crowd. And it's fine, fun within itself, but it really affected the pace to me. But you can notice every time they come back from break, they nearly always do a high-impact move very quickly. Yeah. And so for a TV audience, again, I wonder if so many of the people that were loving this match on Twitter 
were the ones that had watched it with the commercial breaks. And so it was like a refresh. It was almost like you were seeing four 13-minute matches. Yeah. As opposed to one 60-minute match, which was how we experienced it both times. I suppose, yeah. like Because obviously, we're using Fight TV, we haven't seen it with the commercials. So maybe it does flow differently. The, the playing around with the crowd thing, I think that plays into like uh, Brian's hubris. So I think that's as fine as it's going to get. They clearly wanted to um, get Hangman a little breather before he went into deeper waters, and that's the way they've, they wrote that in to do that. It's not the worst in the world. It's not the best. I've been at, been at TV tapings for other companies, and it's also patently obvious when there's uh, commercial breaks at times. So it's not a uniquely AEW problem. But I do take your point that the flow of the match... Not necessarily with that one, because I don't mind that one. When he had the, like, the surfboard stretch on uh, later, and like, Hangman, like, it took ages to Hangman power out of that, and it conveniently was, as they went back on air, that Hangman like, escaped that move. That more, to me, was just like a sign that you're very clearly in a commercial break. But it's fascinating little moments like that and realising the role that the referee's playing in informing them of these things and communicating with them. There's a moment when... Brian Danielson hits the back superplex off the top rope, about to start raining in elbows on Paige. But at that moment, they're going into picture-in-picture to show the action replay of the top rope move. Yeah. And I noticed as soon as the picture-in-picture stopped, they went back into... Like, the focus went back to... It was no longer on the smaller part of the screen. It was put back as the main part of the screen. That was when Brian started to rain the elbows down. And I don't know if that's because the referee was saying anything. I was looking at the referee and I couldn't perceive any lip movement or if it was mm. that Brian could literally see it on the Tron. If the Tron shows action replays as it is going on as well, I'm not sure. Just a note on the referee. I'm, I'm fast becoming the mind that Paul Turner is probably the best referee belt-to-belt AEW has. So I was, I was very pleased when I saw him on this match. He's not as demonstrative as Aubrey and... Bryce Remsburg are. And Rick Knox can sometimes have a bit of a deer-in-the-headlights look about him. I think that's kayfabe, though. They're making him like the NAF referee. I I don't really understand that, but whatever. I don't know what part of that is that it's their booking, or what part of that is just that Rick Knox doesn't project as much confidence in what he's doing. I think he's a perfectly competent referee, but maybe it's just... I don't know, he, he pissed in... JR's cornflakes at some point and he's been paying for it ever since (laughs) yeah maybe the timing and the pacing of the match throughout is very impressive on the rewatch there's a gradual escalation of points there is the mat wrestling basis at the start and the lockups and the headlock takeovers and head scissors and everything else with Brian Danielson mostly enjoying control but not entirely when Adam Page finally surprises him with something Mm. I think he hits him with a boot about 10 minutes into the match. And it's the first time Brian sort of felt full impact of what Adam Page has to offer. And the smile goes, and there's a look of, okay, so this is what I'm dealing with here. Great use of facial expressions, I thought, there. What's fascinating throughout it all, watching it again, is that every time Page gets a bit of momentum, Brian immediately tries to bring it to the ground. He'll grab his foot, he'll grab his ankle, Mm. and he'll bring him down to the mat again and again. Or um, slowly step through the ropes, like he did a lot early early doors. 
in many ways he wrestles this as the champion and Paige as the challenger because in his eyes that's what he sees it as really yeah that Paige is not worthy of him whilst he saw Kenny Omega as the best in the promotion he didn't see Paige as that yet yeah because he doesn't know Paige he doesn't he's never in been in the same world as Paige whereas he knew Omega from the indie scene and he knew him from Japan and now this is him encountering Paige for the first time. And Paige obviously knows Brian Danielson better through reputation. And also, when he wrestled Omega, he's definitely of the mindset of if it was a 31-minute uh, match, he'd have beaten him. Mm. So he, you can see how his confidence has grown from that. So he's like, well, if that's the best, and like I'd have had him if it weren't for the clock, this guy isn't as good as him, so I'm fine. This is a box-checking exercise. This is a formality. And he has 60 minutes to get it done as well, not 30. Yeah, exactly. And it's for the title, not a non-title. And he's was blowing off the cobwebs. That was him having his first match since leaving the WWE. And since then, he's piled up a 30-match win streak, including against loads of Hangman's goons in his little dork squad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, like, he, say, he says to Hangman, it's like, I'm, I'm fighting every week. Like, I, th- I think he'll bring that up in the promos to come. I think... The way it's structured is very much like Brian Danielson is like, well, I'd have won. You didn't win, you survived kind of thing. But it's also a case of maybe Paige was good for one match, but will he be good for it? Can you do it again? Can you do it a second time? I like how each wrestler clearly had their visible strengths when you rewatch it. Yeah. The Danielson is the Matt wrestler. He's the experienced one. He's got more of a, a brain of what's going on in the ring. He's got better cardio, but Hangman Page also has those skills that maybe Brian Danielson's underestimated, and he is stronger, and he hits harder. Like, when Danielson hits him with a chop, Page can literally run through it. Yeah. At one point, he runs through a chop and then just knocks Danielson on his ass. And Danielson does all the targeted, not limb work, but body part work. And one of the things I liked about this match, because I say how I love the psychology of limb work and I love it to pay off towards the end. That's pretty much what you'll always get in a Hiroshi Tanahashi match, for example. Yes. Or as we saw with Kijimuto. Yeah. But with this one, Danielson targets a number of areas at different points. At the start, he tries to go for Paige's knee, but nothing comes of it. Because you can't keep Paige grounded. Yeah. But when Paige finally makes his mistake, which is jumping off the top rope and for a clothesline, it looks, and Danielson being able to hit a kick to the arm. For thunderous, like, arm, yeah, kick. But it's not just the arm that he goes after. He goes after the midsection as well. There's, there's a bit where he ties him up in the ropes and then uses him like a uh, human body bag, basically. Yeah, so at various points when, later on when the Page is trying to hit chops or a clothesline, his arm's hurting him. And his gas tank's been battered as well. Yeah. So he's in deeper water before the blood starts. His cardio's already took a battery. But also then when he goes for a moonsault later on, that hurts his midsection and that allows Danielson the opening to get back into control. Yeah. It's like the table spot later on. Yeah. Where I don't know if it's a lariat he's going for or an elbow drop, I couldn't quite tell. But then after that, he's like, oh, that target's free again. That's took some more battering. It's like a shark. He's very predatory. I like that about Brian Danielson. But what's good, though, is that Brian Danielson makes a similar mistake and Hangman Adam Page is able to show that he can do the same thing yeah. when he goes for a kick, hits the ring post, which I think was something that the, a repeat of a spot that he did with Omega. Mm. And throughout the rest of the match... 
Page goes after that leg as well, and he does good work with it. He does dragon screw leg whip. I was going to say, you mentioned Tanahashi. He does the Ric Flair atomic drop onto the knee. And then when Danielson flips over to escape it, he lands on his leg badly, and that means that he's not able to take advantage. And Page wisely brings him down and wraps him up in a figure four leg lock. So it's that sign of not only can Hangman and Page can do limb work, can target you, can weaken you, and can also take advantage of that because it leaves you vulnerable. And he'll know exactly what to do. And later on in the match at various points, he'll get a leg whip when at one point, it was a really good sign I was writing down about the sign of exhaustion from both of them. Because they're both hurt in their various body parts. So Hangman and Page, Irish whips Brian into the corner. But that hurts his arm, so he takes a moment to fix it. Charges, that gives Danielson enough time to put his feet up and block him. But that hurts Brian Danielson's leg. And he goes up to the second rope, but it takes him too long. And Hangman Adam Page is able to grab the leg and do a dragon screw leg whip. Yes. So they're both able to take advantage of work that they'd done earlier and laid it out. And had affected the other person's ability. Because one of the things I remember reading recently was how very often wrestlers won't wrestle the 25th minute any differently to how they'll wrestle the first minute as far as how fast they'll go or how hard they'll hit. Mm. And in this match, there was a sense of exhaustion and longer time to do stuff, more mistakes being made, or leaving yourself open to be vulnerable to an attack. And that's why Danielson's able to just hit Page, when he goes for a buckshot lariat the first time, he's able to escape the ring when he goes for it the second time. And then the third time, he's not able to block it enough in time. And that's because he's vulnerable and susceptible. Yeah, they grind each other down. You've got like, the, the icing on the cake as far as like Babyface being more vulnerable and having a weakness for the heel to expose in the blood, which is why I think they threw that in as like a extra thing for Hangman to worry about compared to Brian. And the viciousness of, like, the elbows to the cut, like, the targeted nature of the cut. Like, he feels very much like a great white shark in this match. The way he's just, like, he literally smells blood and, like, he goes into, like, an extra level of ferocity. It's no longer, like, the innocent Masanobu Fushi, I'm just being a bit of a shithouse to get in your head. It's like, I'm going to destroy you. Masanobu Fushi is never innocent. (laughs) <laughs> Masanobu Fushi's predatory as well. Masanobu Fushi's predatory as well. But I also like as well when I was re-watching it the second time that Danielson likes to control you. He, he loves getting that period of extended control. It takes ages for him to get it, but he gets it a couple of times. And then when Hangman Adam Page is able to rally, at that point, Brian's looking for quick wins. He'll go for cradles. He'll try and catch him in a sudden submission hold. So when he's in trouble himself, he's still looking for ways to win the match. And then when he feels like he's more in control, he's able to break him down a bit more physically, go at a slower pace. The way that he's trying to win there is through complete destruction of him. Yeah. As opposed to just picking out a small package, a cradle. And that is what he does at various points when Hangman Page is starting to take control of it. You say he's he's gone through the gears. He's had his like warm-up matches, his pre-season friendlies against uh, Uno, Cabana and Silva. This is a man who's like, like you said earlier, like Hangman's got to go against a man who's going to throw his very best. And he is wrestling near enough at his very best. The way he seizes the opportunities that Hangman presents to him. But I think the way they'll look back, and obviously the story I think they'll tell, is obviously his pride got the better of him if he wasn't fannying around uh, too much. I think um, 
at the 55 minute mark, uh, Tony Schiavone's like, well, Brian's got to stop messing around now. He's, he's got to get it done. And I, I think they'll like say things like that. And whoever, whether it be a plan for a, a, a rematch or whoever go, like, promos off against Brian in the future, they'll be like, well, you wasted too much time. You're not as good as you think you are kind of thing. Or your self-indulgence. Yeah. I think that is true. When they have the second match, I don't want it to go as long. I mean, a lot of people are saying the next one will go long or they'll do it no time limit and that means they'll go 70 minutes. And I don't want that to be the case. I liked how Samoa Joe and CM Punk worked it with their trilogy. Mm. They did two 60-minute draws and then the third one was no time limit and it was done in 35. Or when Omega and Okada faced off in the G1. A lot of the excitement is like, well, it's got to get done in 30 minutes. Yeah, and that's why a lot of people think that's the best of their four matches, because they were more disciplined by time. Yeah. I don't necessarily agree with that, but I'd need to rewatch all those matches to see how I feel. Because obviously all their other matches had gone so long, it throws an entirely fresh dynamic to it before the bell starts, because like they are constrained by time. Conditioning fans now expect time limit draws more, and it was a gradual thing. I think they had Cody and Darby Allen went 20 minutes. Was that at a pay-per-view, or...? Very no, early that on. was on. That was early dynamite. Mm. But they had that go a time limit draw, and then you had Omega Danielson going thirty. Yeah, and now you've got Paige Danielson going sixty. I think those are the only time limit draws they've had. I don't think you should do it often. And I think also think the next time you tease a sixty minute draw or a thirty minute draw, it should finish at the 29th minute for a 30 minute draw mm. or something like the 55th 56th 57th or whatever minute for this match in many ways i think if they'd have called an audible and said page win the match in 59 45 just do everything 15 seconds earlier yeah and have him hit the buckshot lariats i think that would have worked for this match i think they told the story of da- of page proving that he's of brian danielson's level and it wouldn't hurt Brian Danielson at all. I, I disagree that they booked themselves into a corner. I thought at first, until it was the opening match, I thought the most logical way to book this would be Paige winning. Yeah. But then when I saw it was the first match, I was like, okay, they're going long and they're going to go 60. I think they what they want for Brian Danielson's first loss wasn't what they wrote in their minds when they booked this match. I, I think you're right in terms of they had options, but I think in terms of the options they want to use... They left themselves short, if you see what I mean. Well, I think they always leave it open. They, I mean, apparently, before the promotion began, as in Dynamite, Tony Khan had penciled in that the first four champions would be Jericho, Moxley, Omega, Page. Yeah. I can believe that, but I also can believe that he can rub that out and change it around. I mean, I was saying, if Page had been embraced as a heel... You don't book in pen, you book in pencil. I don't know if it would have been the case that they would have had Mox win against Brian. Because either they, they were going to book Paige Bryan or they were going to put Bryan to have lost to Moxley. Yeah. So Bryan's losing there even earlier and not to an AEW original. So that's why I would think that maybe this was the intention all along. Possibly. What is also worth remembering as well with this when you compare it to the other match that Bryan Danielson's had that's given five stars in AEW. In that one, he's the babyface working against the heel Omega. This one is an entirely different Brian Danielson. 
So it really does show his versatility. There are a few people that are making the case that Brian Danielson's the best wrestler of all time. And I never like to get into those sort of discussions, but I think you can look at the Omega match and you can look at this match and you can see where they're coming from when they're making that case. I don't think it's something you can ultimately ever settle. Yeah. Saying that Brian Danielson's the greatest wrestler of his generation, I can very much buy. Yeah, you could say that, but I don't think you can say uh, you can't give out a definitive GOAT award in professional wrestling. But if you had a table of goats, he's definitely one of them. So I don't really want to talk much more about this match, just that it was well-paced, it was well-thought-out. Both times I watched it, it didn't feel like an hour. No. And also, one thing I do wonder, when you watch the old Ric Flair long matches, they're all sweating buckets. I wonder if it's to do with lighting. I don't think lamp, like stage lights and that are boiling hot anymore. I mean, I used to be on stage with those sort of lamps, and you, you do sweat. And now they never seem to sweat as visibly anymore. I don't know if that's just also because they're better at cardio conditioning, but then again, there was almost no one who's ever had better cardio than Ric Flair. Yeah. So I don't know if that's why it is, but it's odd. They don't look that worse for wear, as weird as it sounds. But the thing is, with Ric, how many like uh, magnums of champagne is he also sweating out during that match? That's true, yes. How would you look for this program to go when would you book a rematch between these two would you give hangman adam page a different opponent for the time being would you have him defend it successfully against someone else in the interim yes i think you aim to try and get number two on a pay-per-view at revolution which means brit milking it all the way to march yeah early oh yeah it's, it's been pushed back a week hasn't it yes which is doable I imagine they'll do a super show between now and then, again, especially because they're moving to TBS in a few weeks' time. So there's a strong chance they'll want a marquee thing for that. My personal thought is you don't put number two on on free television. I would say in the interim, I don't know who you throw in. That's the problem. I don't want to throw in MJF just yet. I don't want to throw in Punk. And Punk has made it... Obvious that he wants to be part of the title picture sometime soon. Yeah. Although maybe like if he starts to muscle in on the title picture, you could have like Danielson go like, what are you doing? <laughs> this, is, this is my thing. I've not, I didn't lose my last title match. You've got to take into account as well, isn't that there will almost certainly be one of these Clash of the Champions events that they've been booked to do in 2022 before Revolution. And they do like to put some AEW World Titles matches on. Yeah, yeah. I guess you could give Miro it. Miro could say I was the second one in line. Miro's redemption arc takes him away from the titles for the time being. Obvious one, a- Adam Cole. Yeah, yeah. Try, yeah, try and bring it back to the elite. Because I believed at first that it would be a, a shortish deal that would allow Hangman a big win over Danielson. Mm. And that then Danielson would revert back to his baby face. And it was this sense of the only reason he behaved that way was his way of he thought that was the best way to get into Paige's head and he wanted to and he was having a bit of fun in and of himself, but maybe he went too far down that arrogant way and he needs to go back to his more humbleness. To his roots. It's, it's like when Shawn Michaels was healed for that one month to work with Hulk Hogan and then you just program him in with someone else who Yeah. Was, I think they put him with Chris Masters straight after that. Yeah. So that's where I saw it going. And maybe that's still where it will go. I don't know if the fans want to boo Danielson other than when he's against Hangman Adam Page in the Dark Order. Yeah, there's no other real babyface that could out-babyface the fans' perception of uh, Danielson. Brian Danielson now being able to say that both of the last two world champions couldn't put him away 
is something that he will enjoy. I think he will, again, milk it, just like he milked having the next match. And so he's frustrating Paige still and getting in his head. Yeah. Saying, look at you, your first defense and you couldn't win. That's being a bad champion, that is. Yeah. And I was thinking, one of the things Danielson said he's wanted to do is his own faction. So another way of milking that would be him bringing in a new faction of more serious-minded wrestlers. Mm. Putting them up in multiple-person matches with the Dark Order so you can tease Hangman Page matches. And have them constantly be quite bullying and brutal. Sort of like a Cobra Kai yeah. gang of your Daniel Garcias and maybe your... Uh, if you bring him in a Jonathan Gresham. Because usually I think it's better that factions have different skills that if Danielson's the map-based wrestler, then he should have a high flyer and he should have a tag team. and Yeah. And a, and a big brute, man. Mm. Or you could put him with Dan Lambert and have him be the whole America's top team, but it being of a pro wrestling form. You could use that. which So you can give him the men of the year automatically as his FDR tag team. Yeah, and it would take the pressure off of some a lot of the greener MMA guys. Let's go back to the match itself and ask the key question. Simon, would you give this match five stars? Not quite, no. It's it's very good, but it's not quite there. There are a lot of matches you've given five stars to over the past couple of years that I don't think hold a candle to this match. Mm. But despite that, I also won't quite go five stars because there were things with the commercial breaks that bothered me. Yeah. That went into the pace of the match. Just little things. And I also wish that they do... I don't know how you can do it better, but I, I wish that the wrestlers in the ring would react to the time calls. Or at least the crowd's reaction to the time calls. That they make things a bit more frantic and they weren't doing that. Like I loved how Rick Rude worked the end of his Iron Man match with Ricky Steamboat. Where he's just frantically... Th- and I know that I say, you know, that the they're playing more and more exhaustion as time goes on. And I get that, but I feel like they should be reacting to the time calls. If the crowd is responding, they should be responding, I feel. But again, I don't think the time calls were loud enough or frequent enough. I think that they're loud enough. It's just that they're being called on the Tannoy system and they don't connect the Tannoy system to the TV speakers. So the crowd's hearing it because the crowd's reacting loudly, that they're booing the one-minute time limit thing. Mm. And again, that's why I think... You don't want people to end up resenting time limit draws. So that's why, I, like I said, the next one that looks like it's going right down the wire should have a finish to it. Yeah. So that it's always plausible that a match that's gone 59 minutes won't just automatically go to a six. A match that's gone 50 minutes is not going to automatically be a 60-minute time limit draw. It can be still won in the last 5, 10 minutes. That's why I've never liked Iron Man matches particularly because they're always built towards that finishing stretch. Yeah. And you're just covering time. And someone points out, I think this is the first time that a TV show has booked a one-hour time limit match. Not a one-hour Iron Man match or anything like that. For the first time since 1986, when Kurt Hennig went to a one-hour draw with Nick Bockwinkel in AWA. Yeah. I hope this is the last time we see that for a long time. Yeah. I don't think Hangman Page should have another 60-minute time limit draw whilst he's champion. You use time limit draws very sparingly, just to show it's a possibility that it could happen, but it's not a well you want to tap that often. I agree, because... Fans want to see clean finishes, but given the possibility that it might not get a result, it creates doubt, but you don't want to keep going to that well because fans will be like, well, just have someone win, for God's sakes. Yeah, because as I said, from the start, I was like, they're going long, they're spacing it out. This is 
probably going to be a 60-minute time limit draw. Now, that's me being a nerd, and I've watched a lot of Brian Danielson matches that have gone long, and I know how he paces it. Yeah. And I'm just knowing that there's a reason they booked this as the very first thing to happen on this show. The thing is, if you book it at the pay-per-view, and you know the pay-per-views go three and a half hours or something, you know they're not going to go an hour if they're coming in up to like three hours of the show. Yeah. This is the only time where you can leave it a bit open to interpretation as to whether this will go an hour or not. But I thought, they're putting it on first. This is going to go an hour. Just like I when I saw them with Omega, they put it on first. This is going to go 30. Yeah. Especially when they said it had a 30-minute time limit. I was like, well, this is definitely going to be a time limit draw. Yeah. Having said all that, and those criticisms, it's as close to a five-star without being a five-star. So I guess it's a four and three-quarter star and a high one at that. Mm. Because, as I've said, so technically perfect pretty much across the board almost entirely. No blown spots. They keep a crowd engaged for an hour, which is fucking hard. The only person that seemed to want to distract people was some guy with shades and a lot of signs a couple of rows back. Yeah. Well, no, the, cra- the crowd went with it, which is good. But that's obviously the testament to their love for Hangman as well. You know, you can't just be technically good. Yeah. I think the crowd might have been a bit gone for the rest of the show, though. Uh, from what I recall from watching the rest of it. I know I certainly wasn't paying as much attention after that. Yeah. That has been our five-star match that we haven't quite given five stars to. But I will also say, if if I did rankings of all the matches I saw this year, at the end of year, this would probably be in the top three or four. I, I think it's better than Omega Danielson was. Yeah. Or I think it was better than Omega Page as well. So in those three matches with those three guys, I would say this is the best of those three. Okay. Probably my AEW match of the year, actually. Yeah, yeah, I would say that. This is my AEW match of the year. Okay. I'll have to, re- again, look at it all over again. But anyway, yeah. we can talk more about that in our next episode, our final episode of 2021. Even if there is another five-star match, maybe in the recent Stardom show, maybe Meltzer will give one of those matches five stars, or there'll be another five-star match at next week's Dynamite. I can't recall any match that's been booked that would suggest as much. I think we've got Cody versus Sammy for the TNT title, but probably not. Well, we're definitely not getting that. <laughs> but we will be talking about Cody and Sammy and many other people in next week's episode because it will be 2021 in review. And maybe even more importantly, let's see what Simon and Lorcan predicted would happen in 2021. <laughs> and let's see what madness at least one of them will predict for 2022. Oh, yes, I've got I've got some mad call to pull out of my ass in the next seven days. <laughs> but if people want to give Simon some tips as to what they think is going to happen in the future, Simon, how can they get in touch with you? Uh, they can get in touch with me on Twitter, where I'm under Simon Cross Free. Free because if you take all the singular digits in the year 2022 and add them together and divide them by two, you get free. My name's Lorcan Mullinless, L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A-N for Ankle Lock, which is something that Brian Danielson brought out at one point during the match. That's my Twitter handle, Instagram, Facebook, letterbox, if you put it at gmail.com at the end of it, that's my email address. Get in touch with the show at lmtyspod at gmail.com. LMTYspod is also our Twitter and Facebook handles. If you feel like throwing some pennies at us because you feel like being generous as a New Year's resolution or for the Christmas spirit, by all means, go to our Patreon at patreon.com slash lmtyspod. But there's nothing left to say at this point, except that my name's Lorcan Mullen. My name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a five-star time. Until the next time. You 